0: Matthew chapter 28. Normally, baptism is something you just learn about in discipleship. You learn about it a little bit in passing, but this morning, I want to wet your appetite for the great truths about baptism. Because it's more than just getting wet, thank God. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, and uh, verses 18 to 20. We will read aloud together. Matthew 28, verses 18, 19, and 20, as we stand to read the Word of God. Let's begin. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, one more time I ask you to help me. Help us as we hear from you. And Lord, we got to see this for what it is. It's much bigger than just a ceremony. Uh, Lord, uh, it doesn't save anybody, but it means something. And maybe we've forgotten that. I always wonder, why Why do Christians sort of just they get, start, get started and they get excited and they fall away? It's because maybe they just don't understand what the Christian life is all about. And it's it's the crucified life it's a life that that has moved on from something that is dead it is in newness of life now so help us to learn from the picture of baptism what christ has done for us and how we should live today in jesus name amen please be seated now there are some things that people need to know about baptism too many christians believe baptism is either just a ritual or a ceremony Uh, or they think that it's actually part of their salvation. Now, both beliefs are wrong. For those who believe that baptism is a necessary effort for you to become a Christian, you forget about the work of Jesus Christ, that it was perfect. There's nothing that can be added to it. That if you try to add anything to try to help Jesus save you or try to help him out, you cancel out everything he does for you, and uh, then it's all on you. So don't try to help God out. Don't try to help Jesus out. He saves. And for those that that think that um, uh, for those that think that something can it is something you can just avoid or or ignore. I don't have to be baptized. Let me tell you this. You forget that all the times in Scripture where we are commanded to be baptized, and where we're commanded to to follow the Lord in baptism. Now there is a lot of confusion, so, uh, and a lot of people just sort of say, oh, I don't care, well, let me tell you. I want to talk to you about what is baptism, what's the core purpose of it in the life of the born again child of God? So we start with just a thought here, what is baptism? And the revelation is there are several baptisms in scripture, no wonder there's a little bit of confusion. I'll show you one of them, go to the right and find 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers, talking about people of the Old Testament, were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. What was the name of that sea that they passed through? The Red Sea, okay? And we're all, what's the next word? baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So I I got some news for you. Israel was baptized when they came out of Egypt. Isn't that funny? What delivered them from Egypt? A lamb. And when they came out of Egypt, they didn't get wet, but they went under the water, through the, the, the channel of the Red Sea, the waters on each side, and they came out on the other side. It was a picture of baptism. Israel, after being freed from Egypt, They were baptized. Does everybody see that? All right. Israel was baptized. John the Baptist called for the entire nation of Israel before the Messiah came to get baptized. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3. Back to Matthew chapter 3. In verse 4, Matthew chapter 3, and verse four, and the same John, this see John the Baptist had his raiment of camel's hair, and leather and girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. I don't know, we'll have to try that on um, uh, Kim maybe. I think maybe she could take, no, never. <coughs> anyway, his, his dinner was locusts and wild honey. Verse five, they uh, then went out to him, Jerusalem, and all Judea, and all the region round about Jordan, and they were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins but that never saved them. Look down to verse 11. John says this, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Which is more important, getting wet or getting the Spirit of God? Getting the Holy Spirit of God. Now, only Jesus saved. So it it is easy to be confused about baptism. Uh, So uh, every time you find the word baptism, you need to look at uh, what it's describing. Sometimes it's describing being baptized into Christ. Sometimes it's being baptized into water. By the way, they're not the same. Okay? So let's talk about the meaning of baptism. The meaning of baptism is really simple. It means putting something or someone completely into something else. As in immersion. Not dribbling, not sprinkling, not pouring, or dipping. People call uh, sprinkling a baptism. I'm sure a lot of you have been to a baptism where a baby, they dribbled a little bit of water on on the top of the head and everything, and they called that a baptism. I got news for you. It wasn't a baptism. It was a ceremony, but it was unscriptural. It had nothing to do with being baptized. Somebody may say, well, I was baptized as a baby. No, you weren't. You had a little dribble on your head, but that is not baptism. Uh, how many you have ever taken uh, a cup of tea and gotten a biscuit, and you dipped your biscuit in the tea? That's not baptism until you, you lose it in the tea. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> That's baptism. When it's completely immersed, does that make sense? Okay. Um, so, uh, baptism means you put something completely into something else, and it's completely surrounded by it. Now, that implies, um, that, uh, uh, that implies that there's some things that baptism is showing, all right? It is not what it's doing. You see, when I take, I'm gonna use this, and I'm gonna pray that I don't spill it. I should have Bill hold it. Um, but here, I got a little ball of water. Did I drop that? I sure did. Watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat here we'll try it again and... all right here we go again all right so everybody sees this little green bowl in the water okay now right now the bowl is on top of the water you can't really see it but you can tell that the water the bowl is on top of the water is the bowl yet wet yes but it is not baptized when this bowl is completely put under the water and the water is all around it, that is when it's baptized. And that is a scriptural baptism. So everybody who's ever been sprinkled, poured upon, dipped in water or whatever has never been baptized. Baptism means immersion. That is always the case. And what it shows is that it got wet and got wet top to bottom. Not that the water removed any sin because I want to say something here it cannot wash away sin especially when we baptize all right we're going to a river and that water does not wash away anything you some of the guys come out and their clothes are a little bit brown not because of oh, dirt but because of there's just what is it that makes the water brown here um uh, it's not just sediment it's Mork. something sorry Mork. Mork, yeah <laughs> yeah but no there's something that makes the water brown and I thought somebody told me what it was, and I can't remember at this moment. But anyway, it doesn't iron. I don't know. It doesn't wash away sin. It cannot cleanse you from guilt in your conscience. Can you imagine? You may you may have a lot of sin in your background. May you have a little bit of sin. You got this guilt going into the water it doesn't wash away guilt. It does not atone or pay for any sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ, when He died, cleanses us from sin. Hebrews nine twenty two. Don't go there. But let me say, almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without the shedding of blood, without the the shedding of blood through a sacrifice, one for the other, uh, innocent for the guilty, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So baptism doesn't remit sin. What does? The blood of Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice. 1 John one seven says this, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of, of um let me make sure the blood of jesus christ god's son cleanses us from how much sin from all sin all right so if the blood cleanses me from all sin is there any need for water doing anything more no the water does is not needed because the blood cleanses us from all sin ephesians 1 7 why don't you turn there i'll show you what's missing in the new bibles people who have an niv or the rsv or the esv or the hiv i don't know what you've got Ephesians 1.7, they miss a key word, few words in this verse. Ephesians 1.7. Ephesians 1.7 says, In whom we have redemption. Redemption is where all of our sins are paid off. Through his blood. Amen. The forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. There are three words that are missing in almost all new Bibles. Through his blood. So if you read it without that, it says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Oh, Jesus forgives us, yes, but at what cost? At the cost of his blood. That's the key. And sometimes there's a direct attack on the blood of Jesus Christ because a lot of churches love Bibles that sort of make it so that it's not the blood. As a matter of fact, if if, if you go into many Protestant churches these days, the hymns, you pick them up and they sing and they remove the blood of Christ and they just call about the death of Christ. And you, you just go, wait, that's wrong because they don't like the blood. And they do it, you'll find those same churches putting a lot of emphasis on baptism and on babies baptism and all this stuff. Let me tell you, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So water baptism is only a picture It is only a symbol, an illustration, of the work of Jesus Christ that we're trusting in. Hey, did you know Jesus never baptized anybody? He never baptized anybody. John did, Jesus' disciples did, but Jesus never baptized anybody with water. So that ought to tell you that Jesus made sure nobody thought that water would save them. He wanted them to know that he saves. It's not a bad thing to get baptized with water, but you gotta time it right. You don't get baptized in order to get saved. You get baptized in water because you are saved. And that's what we're trying to emphasize this morning. It's like putting on this wedding ring, this wedding band, and um, uh, that, that wedding band does not make me married, does it? No. Anyway, anybody could go and buy a cheap ring and put it on and claim to be married. A ring doesn't make you married any more than baptism makes you a Christian. It's just a symbol, isn't it? That's a good symbol. It tells everybody I'm owned. All right. It's not old ball and chain either. Uh, I, I, I have an ever-ending love for one woman for life. That's what it symbolizes. But it doesn't make me married. If tomorrow I lost it, and it can't even come off. I've tried. It doesn't come off, man. Uh, but if I ever lost it, <gasps> I'm not unmarried. Okay, so... Listen to it. I want to take us now to Romans chapter 6 and develop some thoughts that will help because we kind of forget what, pig, what, the, what is the picture that baptism is showing. Romans chapter 6, back to the left a bit. And I could spend a month of Sundays, or five months of Sundays, just going through Romans 5 and Romans 6 talking about what we do when we, when we uh, trust what Jesus did. Watch. Um, first of all, in Romans chapter 6, we have no reason, now that we're saved, not, not now that we're baptized, but now that we're saved, we have no reason to continue living in sin. Look at verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, how many of you sin? Let me see your hands. All right. How many of you continue in sin? Well, <laughs> see, there's a difference. Now, there may be some people who are struggling with sin. I understand that. But if you're putting up a fight, if you are resisting that, that pull back to the old life, if you don't want to continue in sin, then you're on the right side. But no Christian just continues living in sin and is fine with it and sees no problem with it because the Holy Spirit of God won't let you rest. So shall we continue in sin? God forbid how shall we that are dead, here's our first word, notice these words. How, did, how, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? We are therefore dead to sin. Look at verse 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into water, is that what it says? No, no, no. Stay with me. As many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his Okay, so when a person, we're gonna baptize this this afternoon, but when a person gets baptized, are they being baptized into Christ? No, they're getting baptized into the river. So that is only a symbol of what had to happen when they got born again, when they were put and placed into and submerged and surrounded by Jesus Christ. If you ever imagine these uh, up in the the space station that's flying 250 miles over, uh, overhead, um, if, uh, they they go on spacewalks all the time. Do you know what they have to have to go on a spacewalk? How many of you know what they have to have? Guts, right? <laughs> but they have to have a spacesuit. Can they go with a spacesuit that leaves the helmet off? No. All right. Can they go in a spacesuit that leaves the hands without without covering? They have to be completely, totally surrounded by that spacesuit to protect them. You know, in order to protect me from the wrath of God. I have to have Jesus Christ completely in every direction around me. He is my Savior. I am in Christ. I am placed into Jesus Christ. And a, a simple illustration, Jesus used simple things of when I'm getting baptized, I am reflecting, I'm showing I've been placed into Christ. Look at this. He goes on, verse 3, no, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. So I'm showing a picture of his death, verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism, by baptism into Christ, I was baptized into his death. What does Galatians 2.20 say? It says, I am crucified, I am dead with Christ, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I'm alive, which is a great contradiction, I'm dead but I'm alive, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. It's his life now. The life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I know I'm interjecting a lot here, but just follow. Verse 4 again. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also, we should walk in newness of life. So we've been, uh, look at verse 5. I'll go to verse 5 first. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So I'm here. I'm in 2020 A.D. 2000 and, let's say, like 1900 and so many years ago, 1990 years ago, on the cross, Jesus died for me. When I got saved, I looked at that event, and that event became my reality now. I was planted when he died, I died. When he died for sins, he died for my sins. When they buried him, my sins went with him. When he got up out of the grave, I was given a new life. When I look to Jesus Christ, I can just trust that he can save me. He can affect my life now. That's the gospel, folks. Um, We have been planted in his death. We have experienced the removal of our sins and they've been buried. I'll talk about that in a moment because it's one of the best truths. And we now experience daily, we experience a constant life because of the resurrection. So, uh, we've been, um, what, is, what, is, what do I do with all of that? Well, it's this. I can accept the outcome. I can accept the results of Christ's death and resurrection. Look at verse 6. Knowing this now that our old man is what? He's dead. He's crucified with Jesus. Did Jesus die on the cross, yes or no? He died. Now, the Muslims say, he swooned. The Jehovah's Witnesses say, he swooned, which means he just fainted. No, he died. The Bible says, knowing this, that our, uh, sorry, verse, yeah, verse six, that um, knowing this, that our old man, the old me, is crucified with him that the body of sin might be, one day, it's going to be destroyed, and that henceforth, we should not serve sin. All of a sudden, because of that event, 1,990 years ago, I'm standing here, and I no longer have to serve sin. I want you to understand, when we think about serving sin, that henceforth, from now on, we should not serve sin. To serve means to do the bidding of, the commands of, or to obey someone. All right? No Christian should serve sin anymore. Sin will be like a spoiled brat in your life. Maybe you have a child that constantly just is screaming, I want this, and I want to watch that program, and give me your phone, and take me to the park, and I don't like this broccoli, and all this stuff. Okay, that's you. That's the old you. You will have sin screaming for your attention all your life, That old you is always gonna pull at you, knock on your heart, reminding you of past thrills and pleasures. And like a spoiled brat in your home, he will demand that you feed him. He'll ask you to entertain him and to coddle him and to cater to his whims. But a good parent learns they do not have to serve that brat anymore and that brat can be ignored. Amen. God give us some parents, who have a small brat looks at it and goes, you're not getting what you want. That is what we've been allowed to do now. We have been given authority by Christ to walk away from the screams of our old man. So a Christian realizes they don't have to give into their flesh or their sinful desires like they used to. The truth is sin is not in charge of any believer anymore. Verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin. You know, one of the greatest things about about the gospel is this. When Adam and Eve sinned, what were they they condemned to? Death. So Jesus Christ came and took the death and now said, I took what is a curse and I made it a blessing because I'm still in a body that sins. One of these days, I'll be separated from it. This body will die. And when you die, guess what happens? You no longer sin." So he that is dead is freed from sin. All right, well, if that's true physically, it's true spiritually too. Watch this, verse eight. Now, if we be dead with Christ, remember that illustration, 1,990 years ago, I died with Christ. I trusted him and his death worked for me. If we be dead with Christ, we can believe that we shall also live with him. We believe it now. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, he dies no more, does he? He does. There is no church on this planet that has ever crucified Jesus again. He died how many times? Once. There is no continuing sacrifice. There is no repetition of the sacrifice. He dies no more. Amen? Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin, verse 10, once. But then he liveth, he liveth unto God now. So what can I do? start reckoning it. Now, reckoning is a good Texan word. I knew there were some Texans in the translation committee of the King James Bible. Okay? It's the only Texans that I've ever heard use that term, I reckon. Alright? You think it's going to rain tomorrow? I reckon it'll rain tomorrow is what we'd say. Okay? But to reckon means to think, to understand, to ponder, to believe. So look at verse 11. It says, um, If Christ went through all that and if he's alive forevermore, sin has no pull on him. Listen, was he tempted when he was in the flesh? Yes, he was tempted in all points such as we are. Sin doesn't tempt him now. He never once sinned, but believe me, he felt the pull. The Bible says if what Jesus went through is our example, watch what he says, reckon ye also yourselves first to be, here's our death, uh, dead indeed unto sin, But now, alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin, therefore, be a brat in your life, is what he's saying. Don't let it tell you what to do. Do not, listen, every parent usually has one child that gets up first and screams and says, I want to eat breakfast. I want to watch TV. I want to be played with. And what does a parent need to be able to do? Go back to bed. Be quiet and play for a while on your own, but you're not gonna interrupt my sleep right now. And you can do that with every sin that taunts you and plays with you and pulls at you and screams for attention. That's the gift we've been given when we were saved. We were given the ability to move on and not let our, our sinful nature be that brat in us. Let me read it again. Verse 11, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed into sin, we'll talk about that death again, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Don't let it control your body that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. I hope you, I hope you don't spend much time pondering how much sin that hand got you into before. I'll never forget One of the most traumatic times in my life was when I was talked into going into a shop and stealing a pack of chewing gum. I must have been six years old, maybe seven or whatever. I had really good friends back then. They were really wise. They had depth of understanding I couldn't comprehend. Anyway, they talked me into going in and grabbing a stick of chewing gum and walking out like nothing had happened. I think I sweat like 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 half of my weight in water out as I walked in and as I was shaking I can only imagine the guy behind the counter looking at me as I'm waiting for him to just glance away so I just grab that stick put it in my pocket and then walk out and to this day I still remember that I still remember that that violation of my conscience but that was just the beginning that was not the extent of my sin that hand these eyes these lips these feet have run to sin haven't they you got to think so you used to yield your the members of your body to to sin well verse 13 says don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin but now yield yourselves unto god somebody once said those these words said as much as you used to spend all your money on sin why don't you give it to missions why don't you give it away to god why don't you give it away to other people if you used to spend 300 euros a week on movies and drink and cigarettes, think of how much cigarettes cost a week. Think of how many, how many of our missionaries, we, we could actually add, if, if, if somebody took the money they give to cigarettes, we could take on another missionary for, for the rest of the year if they put that money in every month. Do you understand? Whatever you used to yield to sin, if you gave it to God, tell you what, uh, uh, impossible things would start to happen. It says, but yield yourselves unto God, verse, 11, uh, verse 13, as those that are alive from the dead and your members now as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you now. For you're not under the law. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. No. You're under grace. Grace has freed you. So, that's Romans 6. And it's only the beginning. Um... Let me show you our identity. Colossians 3, to the right, Colossians 3. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter three, and verse one. And according to Colossians 3, our baptism, when a person gets baptized, and I'm gonna take this to the next stage. Don't just say, well, I was already baptized. I understand that. But are you living like you were baptized? Because your baptism was supposed to be a mile marker in your life where you decided, I will follow Jesus. Your baptism was supposed to be a time where you understood, hey, I'm free. I used to live for the devil. I used to live for my friends. I used to live for the world. I now live under God. Now, you probably didn't understand that all when you got baptized, did you? Probably wasn't that deep. I usually try to explain a lot of this stuff to somebody who gets saved before they get baptized. But a lot of people just, the penny didn't drop for a while, and they struggle, why am I still sinning, so on and so forth. I understand all that. But when you start to realize, you know what, that, that event, when I publicly came out, see about all these homosexuals who come out, Christians were the first to come out, folks. We're supposed to be the ones that come out of the closet and say, I'm with Christ. And when you came out, it ought to be that, that, that expression of, I'm saved, I'm free. I'm going to follow Jesus. So let me show you how it it identifies us. What is my life supposed to be like? Look there in verse 1 of chapter 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, now that's the new birth. That's being born again. If ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things that are not on things on the earth. For ye are, what's that word again? Here's that, Dead. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. So, again, here's that word. We are dead. What a strange truth. There's something about us that is D-E-A-D. What does it mean to be dead? I mean, if I took Bill up here and stopped his heart, not going to do it. Laid him out on the table. He's a cadaver. Not an abracadaver, but a cadaver, okay? And he's dead out of here. And I I tweaked his nose. And I poked him. Is he going to respond? Huh? If I said, you're the ugliest guy I've ever seen. You <laughs> oh, would respond to that. Respond to that. <laughs> if, I, if I waved, you know, a cigarette underneath his, his I mean, I don't think that's his, it. better not be interesting to him or whatever. If I got a, a Guinness and I began to pour it down, he's unresponsive. He is dead to everything and everyone around him in not The Bible says we're D-E-A-D now uh sin does not if you're saved folks let me tell you it doesn't attract us like we used to it attracts the old us we are two people now and if you say that sin doesn't sin doesn't affect me well maybe not today <laughs> but the devil knows your number and he will pull on you another day okay when i was a kid i remember somebody finding a little thread on a jumper my mom had made me and that friend was really mean he said oh what's this he began to pull that was on a huge hole. You know what we did? We just finished the up. We just pulled it all out. Amen. And took it home. But the devil knows what little thread to pull on you and start to unravel your life. And the devil knows what sin will activate the old man. But that you have the ability to be dead to. You can ignore, like ignoring that spoiled brat in your home. Before conversion, we were dead to God. I could preach my heart out. Jesus preached the best preaching ever, didn't he? Did it move, did it move uh, Judas? Did it save Judas? The best preaching, the best PowerPoints, the best singing cannot save unless somebody believes. Before you're saved, you kind of are like you're in <laughs> superficial worship. You're doing lip service. You're living for yourself and you're headed for hell. You're not worried about your soul. That's why people will visit, and I'm very glad for anybody who visits, but the Spirit of God has to connect <gasps> the dots of the preaching of the gospel so they realize he's talking about me. I'm gonna to go to hell. After we get saved, like I used to be dead toward God, I now become dead towards sin. That's the revelation. We are surrounded by sin, but it doesn't impress us anymore. As a matter of fact, I know this, people used to drink when they get saved, they have to drink almost double in, for, in order for them to try to get that same buzz they used to get and they went out on a a drink in time. It just doesn't work like it used to. The power plug. If I went over and I unplugged the the, the projector there, what happens? It becomes dead. And what did God do when somebody gets born again? God unplugged the power of sin over my life. Now, don't be fooled. If if God unplugs the power, I can go over and plug it back in and say, yeah, but I want to watch that. Yeah, but I want to say that. There are times where a Christian ignores the work of the Holy Spirit and still says what they shouldn't say. Amen? Still goes and looks at what they shouldn't look. That's you going back and plugging back in what God unplugged. Amen? So we are dead and our sins have been buried. They are gone. Gone, gone, gone. Um, uh, we'll come back to Colossians. Hold your place. I want to show you at least two scriptures Psalm 103. Psalm 103, in verse 12. When you bury something, I want you to get the idea. What are you doing? <laughs> You're putting it away. I have heard, and, and maybe it's been several years, but I've heard of, of uh, Irish, and I'm sure it happens in lots of countries. I'm not, it's not picking on the Irish, but I've heard of a husband dying and the wife never letting it know she's keeping him propped up on the chair that he's always sat in for the last 20 years. And he's still kept in the house. It's been years since I've heard of that. But probably 15 years ago, 20 years ago, I heard of them finding Grandpa still in the chair and he's been dead for months. Now that's not right, is it? Now the mom, the wife, couldn't just couldn't separate herself from that dead thing. And that's a lot of Christians. You're holding on to something that is dead and you're keeping it around and it's dead and it's stinking and it's rotting. And if you could just realize a burial puts it away so that you can move on. Amen? Now you don't move on from the memory. Every memory you have of every sin you ever committed you will keep. Everything you see visually you're stuck with for the rest of your life. That's why you be careful what you put in your eyes. But look at Psalm 103 in verse 12. As far as the east is from the west that's a long way if I started going east and uh, um, I kept going east would I ever meet west no if I started going west I started walking west I just walked as fast as I could would I ever meet east no as far as the east is from the west so far hath he God removed our transgressions from us our sins are buried and gone Isaiah 43 25 don't go there but let me just read this I even I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and I will not remember thy sins. Wow. I may be stuck with the memories of them, but God says, I'm going I'm to forget them. Our sins, it, it allows you to move on. And we are left with a brand new life to live now. That is what we've been given by Jesus Christ. Is what we are now. We are alive. We are clean. We are forgiven. Go to 1 Corinthians. I know you're still holding your place in Colossians but 1 Corinthians, just a few books to the left, in chapter six. First Corinthians chapter six and starting in verse nine. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You're not going in. You got any sin on you, you're, you're doomed. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, that's all of Hollywood. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, that's all of us, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye, right now, are, what? Washed, you're sanctified, you're holy. I'm looking at a bunch of saints. That's what sanctified means. Ye are sanctified, ye are justified. You've been pardoned in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. We're left with a brand new life. Now, what does that mean? Okay, it means whatever used to grip your heart, your thoughts, your life can be put away. It can be mortified, it can be buried and moved on from. Maybe daily, maybe every minute. Go back to Colossians chapter 3. Go back to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. We read there, and it says, verse 3, we're dead. We'll look at verse 5. When we talk about this new life we've got, verse 5 says, we can mortify, therefore, your members which are upon earth. Your members are the things that you use to sin with. Fornication. That's using parts of your body for wrong. Uncleanness. That's using your mind for wrong. Inordinate affection. That's using your heart for wrong. Evil concupiscence. Again, your heart. Covetousness. Your mind and your heart which is idolatry why would i worry about any of that what's wrong with that verse 6 for which things the wrath of god cometh on the children of disobedience do you really want to go over there verse 7 In the which also you walked sometime when you lived in them but now you also need to put off all these what's the what's the one that's hard to put off anger say well i'm not angry now <laughs> Put off anger, wrath, malice, what you think that is evil against somebody. Blasphemy. I I would hate to know just how often people use the name of Jesus in our church. Blasphemous. Where you say Jesus like the world does. I I don't want to know that you use that name wrongly. Never use the name of Jesus as a swear word, as a curse word. (coughs) Look at what he says. Put away... Blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds. Put off means you've, you've buried him, verse 10, and you've put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You're just, who are you trying to be like when you wake up in the morning? Trying to be like Christ. Now Kim was telling me that little Ryan. Um, <laughs> Wants to be a superhero when he grows up. <laughs> then he says, like pastor. and i went, like, "What?" what? <laughs> Keep him believing it. <laughs> but what do we want to be like when we wake up in the morning? The Bible says there, it says we put on a new man, which is renewed, which is recharged, which is activated. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And I'm trying to be like the image of him that created Jesus. You say, well, I'm, I'm this, or I'm that, I'm, I'm, I'm not that. Good. Listen, whether, in Christ, there is neither Greek nor Jew. There's not circumcision or uncircumcision. There's not barbarian or Scythian. There's not bond, slaves, or free. It's just Christ. All, and in all, verse 12, put on. There's our new life. As the elect of God, you are holy and beloved. You need to put on mercies. Somebody once said it this way. Bowels there, bowels means... Feelings of mercy, but somebody said, "Put on bowls of mercies, all right? <laughs> you know, just bucket loads." But anyway, either way, it works. Bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another it means putting up with each other, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity. What are we saying? Get baptized in charity. Live a life that when you are living for Christ, you are absolutely immersed in all of those things, which is the bond of perfectness. You want to live a perfect life? Live it with selfless love. So here's our picture. Uh, In an hour and a half or so, I'm going to take some guys down to the river, and they're going to give their testimony. And it'll be a very humbling, humiliating testimony. Baptism is supposed to humiliate you where you are testifying that that event, 1,990 years ago, affected me now. And I, when Christ died, I let him die for me. And I received new life, so the old me is now dying right here in front of you. I'm not proud of my life. I'm not glad for my life. I have no no excitement about any of my sins anymore. I hate and abhor what I was. So I put them under the water, and he says, all of that is gone. We're not going back there anymore. We're going to allow... uh, I'm going to usually pull them up before I say all this. (laughs) But they go down, and they come up because we're putting all that away so that he can now move on and live the new life. That's what baptism pictures. That is the work of the gospel being shown to the world. It's a public testimony, first to Christians, But so the world are going, why do they get baptized? Did you know baptism is Christian only? I know there are a lot of different flavors of Christian that use different kinds of baptism. But the Jews don't baptize. Muslims don't baptize. Baha'i don't baptize. Confucius didn't baptize. It is what Christ said. Remember, going in all the world, teaching them, baptizing them, teaching them to absorb all things. Because when somebody gets baptized, they're telling the world, I'm saved. They're not getting baptized to be saved. They're saying, the old me is dead. And, and just like I'm coming out of this water, immersed and different, so was it when I got saved. It just was secret, now I'm making it public. So in summary, what does it symbolize? What does it symbolize? It is the expression of the death, the burial, and resurrection in the new life of Christ throughout my life now. Um, uh, It is our foundation. Let me talk about this for a second. Go to Mark chapter 10. I have to rush. Mark chapter 10 and verse 36. James and John and the mother of James and John come up there and ask, Would you do something for us? In verse 36, And Jesus said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? And they say unto him, Grant us that we may sit one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. Let us be right next to you when you're so glorious and you're, you're ruling. Verse 38, but Jesus said to them, you know not what ye ye ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized, circle that word, with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, we can, not knowing what they're saying. And Jesus said to them, ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of And with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. What's he referring to? The cross. He Mm -hmm. says, Yeah, you're going to suffer. You're going to die. Not as a bad person, but as somebody following me, but you're going to be baptized with death. So our foundation is not, I'm not, my baptism means nothing outside of what happened to Jesus Christ, 1,990 years ago. Baptism focuses on His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And that means my salvation. Go to 1 Corinthians now, chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. For by one Spirit, not even by the church, not by the pastor, not by a religion, not by a denomination. Look at it says, by one spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit. Are we all, all believers, are baptized into one person. Who do you, get, who do you think that is? Into one body. Whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, we have all been made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Go back to verse 12. For as the body, your body is one, and has many members. you got fingers and toes and noses and chins. And all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also is Christ. How do we get into that body? When we are placed into him by the Spirit of God. So if you never get baptized, you better get saved. Because salvation is me being taken out of my sin, my life of sin, and I'm placed into Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. I cannot put you in Jesus. By me dragging you, kicking and screaming into church did not bring you into Jesus. By me stopping traffic and directing people to get out of their cars and walk down with me to the river and me putting him into the river does not bring him into Jesus, does it? No. Repentance toward God, great sorrow and abhorrence of self and sin and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, that puts you into Jesus. That is, my salvation is based on his crucifixion. So that's the original baptism. I was spiritually baptized when I got saved, but nobody knows about it yet. Did I tell you, when I got saved, I got home. It was about 11 o'clock at night, 11.30, and I come in, my mom's reading a book, TV's on in the background with noise, and I kind of lost it. I knocked on the door, I came in, I jumped on the bed. I am 17 years old, i had jumped on the bed in years. And I jumped on the bed, I'm looking down at her. she said, what is up? I said, I just got saved. Now, how would she know if I got saved? Unless I tell her. And I said, Mom, you need to get saved too. And Mom went, I am saved. And I went, no, you're not. Because <laughs> I don't remember her talking to me about the gospel. So we, I got down and we talked for the next hour and a half or whatever it was. Listen, my salvation put me into Christ. I just want to tell the whole world. And that man, I got out and I got, it was just like two weeks later, I was baptized in front of everybody. It was scary. It was humiliating. But I felt like I'm free. I'm actually, I'm gonna live this life now. And that's the Christian's new life. That's the Christian's new life. I wish I could go through all these things. I, I, I summarize this. Baptism is the outing of the believer. Announcing to the world you're living a different kingdom now. You're living a different culture. It is a separation from the old life. It's like a break with your past. It's like a divorce. You, you your, your, your old relationship, maybe you're not even divorced. Maybe the picture there in Romans chapter 7 is your old spouse is dead. You're free to marry. You're free to live now free and marry somebody much better. And you're living separated now. It's new. The person who's getting, getting water baptized has testified, I got a new life. This water didn't wash away my sin. I am showing you that I am clean. And it's real. Do you know your clothing that you wear, and that you allow your daughters, especially, to wear reflects the heart. Did you know that? You say, "Don't judge me by what my clothing." What else am I going to judge you on? If you are wearing a, an outfit that makes me look and double look and triple look, folks, let me tell you, that reflects your heart. Now my problem is doing the double take, the triple take, and I got to walk away from that. I got to let my wife punch me, whatever it takes. But please your clothing reflects your heart that's why it does matter when you get up in the morning somebody was talking to me they went for looking for a job and uh, the the person they interviewed with person told them dress differently they didn't get the job let me tell you your clothing they want to know do you take any kind of uh uh, evaluation inventory of yourself and go you know what i want to look my best you may be going to work as a welder but look like you think high of yourself and go in because whether it's church or whether it's work or whether it's home, your clothing reflects what you think of yourself and what you think of Christ. Don't get all mad at me. Your face reflects your heart. Some of your faces are reflecting your heart right now. Your skin color never reflects your heart. Amen. This thing that's going on all over the world is because people do have a problem with what we see. Well, let me tell you, skin color doesn't reflect the heart. But your words do. What you say, how you say it. And when you get baptized, you're finally saying, you know what, all that's gone. I want my heart, I want people to see me as real in Christ. Lastly, it pleases God. When Jesus was baptized and he came up, guess what voice was sounded from heaven? This is my beloved son in whom I am well. He said that when he was baptized. When you get baptized, remember when you got baptized, Kevin? You pleased God. It, It made God go, that's my boy, Wow. and it's a powerful testimony, folks. Believer's baptism is for believers only. It's obvious. Salvation's a desperate cry to be saved from the wrath of God. Baptism is a great, and glad shout about being saved. One's a cry to be saved; the other one's a shout, "I am saved." I had somebody say, "Well, what if I don't want to be baptized?" I thought about that. I thought about, it. "Hmm, then you're not following Jesus." Don't claim to be Christian. If you don't wanna be baptized, you're stubbornly not doing the things he did. Did you know even Jesus was baptized? I wanna be like Jesus, but I don't wanna be baptized. That's a contradiction. I only found one person in the Bible who got saved and didn't get baptized. You ready? There's a guy who was nailed to a cross and couldn't go get baptized next to Jesus. Remember the thief on the cross? I bet you if he could have gotten off the cross, he would have loved to have gotten baptized, don't you? So don't, don't tell me you have an excuse why you don't want to be baptized. Here's the conclusion. Don't think for a minute that you need to be baptized to be saved. That's why I, I, baptism can be one of those confusing subjects. Do I have to be baptized or do I not have to be baptized? I know all of that. stuff. Jesus died for sinners. Your baptism is just a symbol, just a ceremony that reflects that you trust that. And if you don't get baptized, maybe your health won't allow it. That's okay. But shouldn't you want to be? Shouldn't you say, Lord, if you got baptized, I, I want to be just like you. Jesus saves, not water. Would you stand with me and in this bound prayer? A lot of important truths got to talk about this morning, and and maybe I would whet your appetite. So you go back through Romans chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 3 and realize there's a lot more to this. If you you are saved and you've been baptized, good. But let that be a mile marker where you decided you were going to live the new life. Maybe you've kind of had a detour and you've gotten turned around and gotten discouraged into thinking you can't live that life. Yes, you can. If Christ died for you, At that extreme, he gave you freedom from sin. He gave you, not that you will not sin, but you don't have to anymore, and you can, you can wake up and ignore your flesh. Because greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. Second verse, I can now do all things through Christ. I can put down whatever's holding me back. Father, would you please bless your people this morning? Thank you for what Jesus did. And our little ceremony of baptism sometimes confuses everybody. I don't know if I helped anybody or not, but Lord, I pray that our, our understanding of, you know, that event, I got baptized 40 years ago, but I want to live up to that. I want to live up to the, to the goal of living that new life that I was given the moment I got saved. And I, I fear for, for Christians who just stubbornly sit back and they go, I'm not going any further. I, I asked Jesus to save me. But did you ask Jesus to change you? Did did it really mean anything to you? So, Father, I pray you bless the the, the truths this morning to every heart. We need, we need to live like we're saved. We need to live the life that's based upon the foundation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we can. Because the power that's there dwells in us now if we're saved. If somebody's in here is not saved, they've just been winging it skimming along faking it i pray their heart pricks them and they go i'm not saved i don't i don't care about being baptized i care about being born again lord i pray they talk to me i pray they settle it today in jesus name amen we got one song here